This podcast is part of the Podcavern Network. Check out other Podcavern shows at podcavern.com. Today, Moth loses something, and Cicada finds something else. If you're new to the podcast, you could check out the archives on the website and listen to the episodes you've missed. The address is in the show notes. You don't have to, of course, but this is the kind of story where details add up. Welcome to the eighth episode of The Moth Collection. The Moth Collection. Episode 8. On the Moon. When Moth came to, she was lying supine on the surface of the moon, and though she did not know it yet, there was a very small bomb inside the right leg of her spacesuit. She sat up a little too quickly, and retched and hiccuped, the sounds loud and stinging as they bounced about the helmet. She desperately fought the surging nausea. She was not going to vomit inside a pressure suit. She'd seen it happen once, and that was plenty. Wheezing, she braced both arms on either side of herself, gloved hands splayed in the gray lunar dirt, and waited for the queasiness to pass. As she marked time, eyes tightly shut, she reflected on the events of the day so far. The discrepancy back in town-based Diana had been able to subdue her, which was alarming in itself, but it hadn't outright killed her. On the whole, she was glad she was not dead, but she was unnerved. The last minutes in the mayor's office were hazy. She did remember his eyes, green and multiplying as they floated above her. And in the back, on the desk, through the smoke, the fuzzy, furry shape, that had made her take one risk too many. Her eyelids rolled open as soon as her breathing had slowed, and she had a look at her oxygen gauge. More or less full, so there was that. The terrain around her was not as rugged as it was around Diana. It was, in fact, remarkably even. That, and the bleak glare of the sun over the dirty horizon, made it obvious. The mayor had had her dumped on the far side of the moon, the one that was often called the dark side. As it was, the town base, back on the near side, still had about four days of obscurity before it would see sunlight peek over the crags and through the cracks of the crater walls that surrounded it. Right. She should leave a note for Cicada, who must be in theater by now. She tried three times, feeling herself growing angrier and stupider with every attempt. The notation system was down. It was down, for heaven's sake, and... Yes, there it was. She couldn't leave this division. Twice in one lifetime. The discrepancies were learning, they were talking, they were teaching one another. 
It was going to get a lot worse before it got any better, and Collection would have to understand that. Maybe even try to get a directive from the board, wherever they were. Not that she was able to take notes about it. She punched the ground in frustration and uncharacteristic self-pity. A ring of powdery grit floated up around her fist, and a few grains of dirt spiraled down onto a letter lying on the ground next to her. It was a paper envelope, sealed with a glob of wax struck with the lunar arms. It was addressed to Moth in a flowing, extravagant hand. Pulling the letter out of the envelope through stiff space gloves was not easy, but it had been that sort of a day. My dearest Moth, I enjoyed our little discussion, but if we can't travel together, I have decided to stay in this division. My life here is a lot more exciting than it was back in the voids. Also, I'm keeping the toy. I hope you will not take it too hard. I'm sorry we were not able to come to an agreement. Your attitude was most discouraging. Perhaps negotiations will go better with your colleague. That stung. Cicada's bronzed features materialized again on the photographic plate buried at the bottom of Moth's mind, crowding out everything else, as it so often did, for all that it was three years since they'd stopped dating. Being around her had only recently started to be a little fun again, and now there Moth was, incapable of enjoying being on a mission with Cicada, just because she hadn't been able to stick to protocols. The brief was hopeless, of course, but that was a given. The best briefs were only somewhat screwed up. The one time she let her emotions get the better of her, and oh, that fury had felt so good. It all immediately went tits up. Silver lining? If she couldn't slide back to the office, neither could the mayor. Because that was the bastard's idea, of course. It was the idea of several of the bastards at this point, she had no doubt. He'd laughably framed it as a peace gesture. Butterfly might have fallen for that for about a minute, God rest his soul. Discrepancies organizing. The mind boggled. To think she'd lobbied to get that brief on a suspicion. A hunch that she had not deemed it politic to share with Collection, or indeed with Cicada. And now, she couldn't warn her. You may feel something loose in the right pant leg of your suit. An object. Jiggle your leg a bit. There, see? That is a bomb. Ha <laughs> ha! I know, right? It is quite small. It will not create a blast strong enough to straight-up kill you. If it works the way it should, and honestly I can't promise anything, it will rip a hole in your suit. It might also break your tibia, I suppose. Sorry. It is set to go off at ten o'clock diner time. I don't know how long you remain unconscious, so I've no clue how much time that leaves you. The bomb will also explode if you move away more than 500 meters from the spot where you found this letter. I saw something like that in a movie once. 
I have a notion this will kill you, but you are a very resourceful woman, and you may well surprise me. If I wanted to make absolutely sure you were dead, well, you'd be dead, wouldn't you? I like my little fun. Everyone here in town knows that. If you do make it through, look me up. We'll see if we can't come to an arrangement in the matter of my proposal. Yours in disappointment, the mayor. Moth sniffed. Insane and trying to infiltrate the net. But that didn't mean he couldn't enjoy himself, did it? She checked the time. Seven past nine. She crumpled the letter and threw it away, watching it spin in a dreamy arc down to the ground. She sighed. The day was bound to get a bit more difficult from here on in. 9.08 Cicada's steps as she strode down Diana's main street appeared purposeful, but that was something of a front. She was rattled. The notes were down, and the first and only time that had happened so far, she'd ended up spending three years lost in a contained hell, worshipping a discrepancy with a god complex. Granted, she'd had Moth with her to take the edge off. Well, Moth wasn't here now, That was part of the problem, not that things with Moth were exactly effortless at the best of times. Licking her lips, Cicada slipped her hand into her shoulder bag and let her fingers close on the searer at the bottom. Notation system down could only mean that the discrepancy in this division was powerful, clever, and already well along the homicidal bastard scale. The inhabitants of the town base called it Main Street, but what it was, in truth, was a long and largish corridor with slightly higher headroom than the rest of the vast labyrinthine structure that constituted Diana. Most visible surfaces were formed of molded grey plastic, much of it grimy and yellowing with age, and repaired here and there with pressure-sprayed polymers. Industrial piping coursed higgledy-piggledy along the ceiling, and the stark neon lighting made everyone look as though they had eaten something that didn't agree with them. Along the way hung a great many screens, many of which displayed advertising, and the loud splashes of color were welcome. Main Street was bustling. This was a regular workday for the moon people. Considering the dreariness of the surroundings, or perhaps in reaction to it, everyone looked rather dapper in Diana this morning. Bowler hats seemed to be in fashion. Women wore them with ribbons at the back. Yellow and grey, mostly. A patriotic folk were the moon people. With her light brown business suit, Cicada felt a little underdressed, despite her flashy earrings. Everything was exiguous, but no one seemed to mind and managed to move about without so much as brushing against one another, using the distinctive magnetic-soled rip-and-stick tread that talk show hosts back on Earth found so amusing. The corridor was lined with small shops, restaurants, worship spaces, and public quarters. All of these were built along an identical pattern, with one sliding door on the left 
and one large window on the right. People inside were leaning against the glass and watching Cicada as she clumped along like a tourist. Some simply rested their eyes on the street in bovine fashion, but others had a wary gleam about them. She felt like Gary Cooper in High Noon. She read some of the signs over the doors. These were not as standardized as the stalls. Many were fancifully decorated. Diana Municipal Library and Civic Center. Red Crescent Walk-In Medical Clinic. O'Higgins Bar and Grill, Live Music, Temple Yareyach Beth Shalom. There was indeed music coming out of O'Higgins Bar and Grill. Well, not so much coming out of it as piped through little speakers bolted on either side of the sign. The owners had also painted a pair of whimsical saloon batwing doors on the entrance panel. The lights in the restaurant were dimmed and had a subtle golden tint to them, not unlike the east wing at Nethouse. The atmosphere this created, there as well as here, was not unpleasant. Indeed, it reminded her, in a soppy way, of Moth's eyes. There were three tables, only one of which was occupied. Cicada's supposed restaurant business on the moon was mostly takeout. An older man with a braided grayish beard sat at the far table, his bowler hooked on his knee. He was intently eating a high, neat pile of egg squares with what had to be soy bacon on the side. Cicada's stomach rumbled. She ignored it. In her experience, this stuff always smelled much better than it tasted, though it filled you up all right. At the back of the room stood a small bar, flush with the mirrored wall, with a fake oxen's skull hung at the top. Bar service was automated, and at this time of the day it did not deliver anything stronger than chicory. A door next to the bar led, presumably, to the kitchen and the bathroom. A wiry gentleman in shades and a cowboy hat swayed on a low, rectangular dais flung like a short catwalk between the two tables on the right-hand wall, window side. He crooned soft down-tempo country into a throat microphone as he worked an upright synth. The dais was still large enough for him, but he shouldn't go eating too much. Cicada didn't like to disturb the singer, so she stepped up to the old-timer. I'm looking for a woman. The man, who was perhaps in his late sixties, hadn't looked at her since she'd come inside, but he made up for it now. Cicada took an involuntary step back. His beard was dyed bright green around the mouth, and the effect was startling. Also, he was obviously wearing a weapon under his spacer's jacket. Not a gun, she reasoned. A gun on a lunar base was an insane idea. So, probably some species of knife. Perhaps a telescopic club. Who isn't? That made no sense, but the smug geezer thought it was pretty good. Oh, and he had a reedy voice, too. A particular woman, Cicada went on sweetly enough. You'll remember her if you've seen her. Tall, in great shape. Long red hair, loads of makeup, but looks like it was professionally applied. 
His eyes went shifty. Well, shiftier. Never saw anyone that would make that kind of an impact today. Best looking gal I saw since I got out of bed this morning, I'm looking at right now. She couldn't work out if this was meant as a compliment. She turned round to the musician with an exaggeratedly puzzled expression, but the singer was pretending to be deep in his performance. She thanked the warhorse for nothing and went back into the street without waiting for his response. She stood in front of the eatery for a minute or two. The door behind her slid open and the bearded patriarch walked past her, his phone to his ear, surprisingly spry as he weaved his magnetic brogues between the passers-by to disappear at the next crossing. She glanced back through the window. The man's breakfast was gone. He must have gobbled it up like it was a contest. Food on the moon was a priority. The door whooshed open again. It was the musician, out for some fresh air, such as it was, and a cup of steaming black goo. He made sure his throat mic was off, slipped his sunglasses in his shirt pocket, and held out his hand. Name's Shep, he said, still crooning a bit. She shook his hand warily. You won't get anything out of Nort, he went on, jiggling his chin in the direction the old man had taken. His tone was just earnest enough to warrant her full attention. Come back in. Place is empty now. We can talk. She followed him back in. Why not? Chicory? He asked. She declined with a short gesture. Don't blame you. Piss poor substitute for coffee, but you can actually grow it here. You get used to it. The thing about Nort is, he kind of works for the mayor, see? Not a close friend or anything, more a low-level enforcer kind of thing, but them's almost the worst, ain't they? Hungry-like. Your friend was in this morning. Not two hours ago. Not big on country, I could tell, but not everyone is, I guess. She was talking to Allie, the schoolteacher. Dunno what they was talking about, to tell you the truth. I was mostly in and out of the kitchen. I help out during the morning rush, but at some point, your friend heard something she didn't like. Something she didn't like at all, and she shot out of here like a Terran politician when a lunar journalist raises a hand. Know what I mean? Where's the school? Turn right at the very end of Maine, and it's one of the doors on the right. The one after a longer bit without doors? About a five-minute walk. For you, more like seven or eight. They like to keep the kids away from Maine, you know. Of course, that means they're right next to City Hall, and that's even worse, but it didn't used to be, am I right? I don't know, are you? He shuffled uncomfortably. Hmm. Whatever your friend has got up to, if she makes waves in Diana, it'll eventually involve the mayor. I'm telling you all this because you guys seem like decent sorts. And there's something about you two tells me you tend to take a straight line to get to where you want to go. But see, the mayor now... Look, I've got to be careful. A bar entertainer ain't exactly essential services, but... You know, 
He's the kind you have to watch your tone around. Otherwise, you're liable to find yourself sucking vacuum at a party for his coterie. Man's me is what I'm driving at. Why did you people vote for him? Or did he change after he got into office? Oh, we didn't so much vote for him, shrugged Sheb, as ended up with him in the wake of his predecessor's passing, which was not strange or suspicious in any way. How long ago was that, by your reckoning? Sheb began to answer, then hesitated. His mouth became an inverted U. I can't rightly say, ma'am. He looked comically surprised. Cicada gave him a forced kind of nod. She could sense there was something different about the containment on this job. She knew it was a double. The brief had warned about that. The discrepancies, and their own, which Moth had set up a few hours ago. But she'd been inside double containments before, and this thing felt even weirder than usual. She flashed the bewildered Sheb a mild smile thanked him with no other mention of time lapses, and took her leave. 9.19 The thing about moon rocks, reflected Moth, is that one tended to look much the same as the other. She examined the large pockmarked piece of grey stone she'd just dropped for a marker in the middle of the moth-shaped impression in the dust. She suddenly burst out laughing. There was a brittle edge to the sound. She was on the damned moon. She didn't need the stone. Her own footprints would signal the beginning and the end of her rambles. Furthermore, the crisp jeep tracks the mayor's stooges had left behind would take her back directly to Diana. Of course, she couldn't walk more than half a kilometer along that trail anyway, if the mayor's threat was credible. Thank the Lord that Cicada wasn't here to witness this. Moth took stock. Notes and divisional movement down. Suit radio disabled. Positional display disabled. And here disabled meant smashed in. Almost two hours of oxygen left more than she would ever need if the bomb did go off at ten, which was less than forty minutes away now. She swiveled on her heel and winced. She felt the small, squarish object moving around inside her right boot. Depending on the angle, it pressed disagreeably against her ankle. She hopped like a space kangaroo a few times to get it to settle more comfortably over her foot. She hoped it wasn't also wired to respond to vibrations. She turned around again, slowly. The plane was crisscrossed with jeep tracks, but nothing within eyesight moved. One higher ridge some distance to the north, another one vaguely southwesterly. Diana was somewhere back west. There was another settlement named Serene about ten kilometers away northeast of Diana if memory served. A rupture suddenly unfurled itself some fifty meters away from her, like a plume of smoke blown out of an invisible giant's pipe. A city scene, pre-automobile. Autumn, going by the colors of the trees that lined the boulevard, 
The hazy tableau slithered lazily across the desolate lunar surface. Moth found herself regretting that she could not take a picture. It was one of the more startling ones she'd seen in over twenty years in the job, and a photograph would have looked rather fine on her office desk. Plan A. Reach the higher ground to the north, as it looked closer than five hundred meters, and try to flag down a vehicle. An automated mining cart, possibly, or even an intermunicipal bus, though she had an idea that travel to and from Diana was probably not quite as plentiful as it had been before the mayor. Then deal with the bomb once she was in a pressurized cabin, which, as she knew and was trying to ignore, was not actually standard on all lunar transports. The real solution to her predicament was already coalescing at the back of her mind, and her unconscious was not looking forward to it making itself plain. Best exhaust all other possibilities first. Damn, but she was thirsty. She began to walk. 9.32 The school had two classrooms for a roster of about 60 children all told, from 6 to 14 years old. Ali Marronnier taught the younger kids. She left a tall, brash, obviously gratified girl in charge of watching over the group, and motioned Cicada to follow her to the broom closet that doubled as the teacher's lounge. Ali was 30 or so, pleasantly plump, with long black hair tied back in a ponytail with a red bandana. She wore a plaid shirt under jeans overalls absolutely covered in pockets. Pens and pencils and rulers and scissors protruded from everywhere about her person. She looked like the host of a children's TV program. Cicada could tell she was the kind of habitually sunny woman whom students would come visit years later after leaving the school, and that her unsettled mean now was quite atypical even for someone living in what was turning out to be a fairly dysfunctional little pressure cooker. Cicada, was it? More than Cicada, that sounds like a pop band. Allie giggled. Sorry. It's okay. We know the names are weird. Allie offered her a cup of chicory and shrugged when it was declined. She poured herself a comforting portion in a large mug labeled Second Best Teacher in Diana, presumably a jokey present from whoever was teaching the older group. They sat down. Allie had a few false starts. When she finally managed to set off, her tone was tremulous. I don't want to frighten you, but if you can't read your friend just now, that's not a good sign. She left O'Higgins in a bit of a state, and unless I got the wrong end of the stick completely, she was going to see the mayor. She bit down on the nail, realized that was less than appetizing, and put her hand down diffidently. People go into the mayor's office and don't walk out sometimes. That happens. Is that a figure of speech? Cicada couldn't help being interested in the implied logistics. We're on the moon. The mayor's office has a door to the outside. Cicada goggled. For a long time, the mayor's office was on the other side of town, 
Allie continued. But when the mayor took office, as it were, he moved it to the end of the street here. It used to be a garage, so it's got an airlock. And we all think the door is not so much for letting things in. She took a sip. The mayor has a temper. Even during the good days, it's best to keep that in mind. There are stories. Look, I try not to get involved. I just take care of the kids. I love my kids, Cicada. But for the mayor, well, even kids aren't off limits. She put the mug down. Her hands had begun to shake. You don't have to tell me, Cicada murmured. Ali shook her head and dabbed at her eyes. That's why your friend Moth went to see him. I told Moth what happened in my class two days ago. She was asking about my job, I don't know why. Small talk. Anyway, two days ago the mayor was in my class. He does that about twice a year by my reckoning. It's a sort of inspection, you understand? The kids are all supposed to stand up and greet him and do recitations and things. They sing a song all about lunar pride, you know? They worked so hard on it, too. It was, it was beautiful. She trailed off for a second before coming back to her story. He quizzes them. Math, English, ballistics, French, Mandarin, geography, lunar history, the lot. It's this whole thing. It's a bit stressful for the ones who struggle in school to tell you the truth. And at the end, usually he gives them all candy. At least they all like that. Usually? This time it kind of went sideways. There's this boy in my class. One of the younger ones. Lovely child, but really shy. He has a stuffed toy, and I've given up trying to get him to leave at home or outside the classroom. Cicada's eyes narrowed. Something she'd read in the brief suddenly began to needle her. He just needs it to function, Allie went on without noticing. So I let him keep it with him at his desk. Well, that robbed the mayor the wrong way, let me tell you. Cicada made a noise in her throat. A possible charged object. A child's toy. That was what the brief mentioned. What did he do? Take it? Ripped it out of the kid's hands. Laughing, like a villain in a book. I've never seen Jamie so upset. I was scared he'd jump on the mayor. His eyes had murder in them. You never want to see that on a six-year-old's face. But he just fled the classroom. His parents have kept him home yesterday and today. She stopped talking and stared at Cicada helplessly. And when you told Maud this story, she became furious, asked where the mayor's office was, and left immediately, barely said goodbye. Cicada was puzzled. The item referenced in the brief was not a plinth, just an artifact of interest, and it was the merest footnote. She knew Moth had a hair-trigger for moral outrage, bordering on a vigilantism fetish at times, but she was still a punctiliously professional op, and she usually waited for her partner before doing anything rash leaving them to hold the bag, if anything. 9.47 Standing atop the rocky ridge like a heroic explorer in a Renaissance painting, 
Moth surveyed the wide lunar vistas that spread around her, from the distant glimmerings of Serene to the darker recesses that marked the entrances to silicon mines some eight hundred meters away. There were, in fact, industrial vehicles on the plain below. She counted two just then. But they ignored her frantic arm-waving and the pebbles she threw in their direction. They were probably automated, and either she was too far from their sensors, or they were programmed by accountants, and wouldn't deviate from their route, unless she were wearing a company beacon. In the best possible case, they might see her and relay a distress signal to serene municipal authorities, though she wouldn't hold her breath. Having to hold her breath was pretty much the only thing she didn't have to worry about at the moment. She tried the notes again. No dice. She swore fruitily. That was it. The line. She was already cutting it fine as far as time was concerned by her reckoning. During the climb, as she stopped every few meters to dance about like an idiot and get the bomb to slide back up over her foot, she was getting bruises over her ankle if she made it out, no question. The only remaining solution had slowly come to the fore of her consciousness. It wouldn't be fun. As ever, with decision came determination. She sat down on the boulder and gingerly began to loosen the straps on her oxygen tank. 9.48 You're still the sharpest-looking woman I've seen today, my dear, said the bearded oldster unctuously. The electric green hair about his mouth spread outward around an oily grin. His two younger companions chuckled, which visibly pleased the ancient. He grew by about a hand span. Sheb had called him a hungry low-level enforcer, and Cicada thought that sounded about right. Well, he was getting his chance today, probably because he was the one who'd spotted her first and raised the alarm. Moon men, she almost said aloud. She was in no mood for moon men. The three guards stood shoulder to shoulder before the door to the mayor's office. On one side of the waiting room was a sofa, and on the other was an ostentatious sign of wealth and status, a window to the outside, through which the exterior walls of the town base shimmered under the precise stars of the lunar sky. Over the sofa was a framed, hand-painted map of the moon with the lunar motto, Semper Cressus, an elaborate script inside a sort of medieval scroll at the bottom. The united moon flag hung limp on a metal pole next to the door, as though making a point. When the coming fraca was over, Cicada would regret not having been able to use it to knock someone out. That would have made a great story back at the office. I need to see the mayor. He's otherwise occupied, in an important meeting like. He'll see me. Well, you're not leaving here, so yes, he will. Only later. Now. She was on the move. The object under the old dandy's jacket did turn out to be a telescopic nightstick. Indeed, all three thugs sported identical weapons, 
The mayor obviously bought in bulk. She had to admit the clubs made a very satisfying fra sound when they extended to their full length, following the jaunty whipping gesture that looked so good in the Hong Kong movies she had tried to get Moth to enjoy years ago. They lived on the moon, and she didn't, so advantaged theirs. But she was a net op, and she'd just gone through her half-yearly physical and close combat recertification. On the whole, it balanced out. The youngest of the three, he couldn't be older than seventeen, reached her first. She twisted to take the first blow in the fleshiest part of her left shoulder. Actually getting hit was always good for a surprise, since it was something most people desperately tried to avoid. If it yielded an opening, it could be worth the trade-off. She didn't scream, but she came close enough to it. The welt was going to remain for weeks, and she wasn't sure her left arm would quite work for the next ten minutes. Still, she was in close, and in motion, and reversing her spin she brought her right hand up to the club like a striking snake, close to the astonished youth's own hand, and the stick was hers. She didn't even have to switch her grip, it was ready to use. She lashed him once across the right (coughs) temple, backhanded, and he floated down to the floor, his eyes white. They were rushing her in order of age. The next blow came from overhead. She parried it like she was sword-fighting, in to out, pushed the young man's arm wide to the side, and came back across his left temple, in the equivalent spot that had proved so effective against his younger colleague. As he left them to it, She snatched the weapon out of his limp fingers with her left hand, which was working after all, and now she had two clubs. The old goat had paused. He held back, making wary figure eights in the air with his nightstick. Before he could come to a decision as to his next move, the door behind him hummed open, and a trans-dimensional voice roared from the far end of the office. Do you mind? The enforcer swiveled like a puppet on a pivot. Reasoning that there was no immediate context in which having this gentleman up and about was a net advantage, Cicada stepped closer and clubbed him briskly on the back of the head. The hat took some of the blow, but not enough. Now she had three clubs, which she no longer needed. Damn, said the mayor without getting up from behind his desk. His voice was not devoid of admiration. She dropped the lot behind the sofa and turned to the open door. You have got to be a friend of Moth's, said the discrepancy. Come in. 9.50 Sitting on her boulder, her oxygen tank on the ground next to her. Moth took hold of the canvas strap looped around her right leg at the height of her calf and pulled as hard as she could. She bent further down, the air hose between her suit and the tank stretching as she moved, and examined the results. She tutted. Not good enough. She'd cannibalized the straps to her tank to improvise the tourniquet, and though in the main it worked surprisingly well, getting it tight enough 
was proving a bit more challenging than she had anticipated. She took a deep breath and gave the strap another tremendous tug. The fabric of the spacesuit suddenly crinkled like the bellows of an accordion and pinched a fold of skin savagely. Tears welled in her eyes, and she bit down on a wail. The pain was sudden, unexpected, and intense. It was probably all right now, she reckoned, breathing raggedly and sniffling. Still, she'd have to do this quickly. Time was getting very short. She made sure the notes were still down. Cicada was on her own. They both were. Next step. Humming a snatch of Mozart's bassoon concerto, she began to unscrew the seal to her right boot. 9.51 Cicada blanched. The resonance coming out of the room was suffocating. That resonance and the blankly staring teddy bear on the desk nearly drew a whimper out of her. It was the mayor's invocation of moth, percolating through with a few seconds' delay, that gave her the outraged kick up the seat of the pants she needed. She shook herself, readjusted the strap to her shoulder bag, and walked in. The mayor poured out two glasses of scotch from a bottle he'd pulled out of a drawer. Sit, he said pleasantly, handing her a drink. Let's all talk about this. I like telling people about my ideas. There were two chairs opposite the desk. To her astonishment, one was already occupied by a dejected-looking little boy in an early 20th century school uniform. The door closed behind her. The mayor's eyes twinkled. He wore an expensive bespoke gray suit with a silver bolo tie struck with the lunar crest. His hair was entirely white, and so was his waxed and neatly twirled moustache. The stone cubes in his scotch glass, moon rocks, she wagered, jangled as he swirled the alcohol around. All that was missing was a cat in his lap for him to go full James Bond villain. That was the thing about discrepancies outside of the voids. They rarely went for subtlety. Oh well, neither did Bond films, and she loved those to bits. As though he had heard her thoughts, the mayor stretched out his arm, grabbed the teddy bear on his desk, and set it down on his knee. He tittered. Cicada stole a glance at the little boy to her left. He was as pale as Camembert. Same complexion as moths, really. With his dark hair slicked over his forehead and streaked with a few wisps of startling red, he looked like one of those black-and-white photographs where details have been colored in with dabs of paint. He ignored both Cicada and the mayor. All of his attention was fixed with uncomfortable intensity on the stuffed animal in the discrepancy's lap. Ali had been right about him. He had murder in his eyes. Bereavement, powerlessness, frustration, bloodlust, all churning in the gaze of a six-year-old, 
and it was unbearable. She noted his clothes again, a theatrical white and blue sailor suit with short trousers, clearly a school uniform of some kind, though no other pupil had been wearing a uniform. Well, everyone dressed funny on the moon. Where's Mott? she asked quietly. The boy twitched at the name. That was bizarre. After a pause that he seemed to savor, the mayor said, Do you know how many people depend on me in this community, Cicada? She pretended to take a drink. It wasn't real scotch anyway. Do you know how long a discrepancy lasts after we've established its identity? She answered, getting the trigger out of the way, already knowing it was one of those rare occasions where it wouldn't do anything. The mayor wasn't trying to hide his nature. On average? I think I might be the one to mess with your stats a bit. He chuckled and let his face, for the merest instant, take on a hint of, what, a vaporous form of some sort? Yes, something like smoke. Then it was gone, and his features had thickened back to flesh. If the seething boy had noticed, it was impossible to tell. Something was off here. She felt almost drunk, though she had not swallowed anything out of her glass. This was the worst containment fog she'd ever experienced in her career. Here's an idea, the mayor said. Why don't you ask Moth about it? His voice turned buttery. Oh, my apologies. You can't. Cicada's jaw clenched. Was he talking about the notes, or... The boy suddenly screamed in a painful, crystalline voice that made her spill quite a bit of her drink. Something clicked somewhere, and her eyes glazed over as the boy keened. She's not dead, you thief! The mayor recoiled and clutched the teddy bear to him. His eyes zeroed in on the child. Yes, you would know, wouldn't you? But Cicada never heard him. She hadn't been listening. The hysterical shrilling had lasted all of three seconds by her reckoning. At the half-second mark, the notes had come back, and the following exchange had taken place in the remaining time. Mort, you okay? okay? Good Christ, Christ, you're in the middle of nowhere. nowhere. I'm fine. fine. On my way. way. I've witnessed witnessed a rupture. rupture. Where are you? you? With the discrepancy. discrepancy. Sear him. Sear him him as soon as you safely can. can. On the moon, sear toward the floor. floor. Don't be difficult, difficult, Cicada. Cicada. And save Save the bear. bear. Save the what now? shouted the little sailor. The notes were down again. Cicada blinked. The boy was halfway out of his chair, his fists taut and shaking. He looked just about ready to throw himself at the mare. She'd never seen a more incensed child, or a braver one. She put her hand on his arm and was surprised at how cool it felt.
We'll get your bear back, she breathed, trying to project calm and kindness. Let's talk about this. The boy hesitated. Then, reluctantly, he settled back down in the chair. Cicada turned back to the discrepancy. She let him talk about his grand plans for the moon. Within three sentences, she realized that Moth had probably lied to her from the first about what was, it was becoming increasingly clear now, the most important job of both their careers. As the mayor talked and she listened, she slowly began to remove her shoes, making deadly sure her upper body never betrayed what her feet were doing. 956 Dear Lord above, it was cold. Moth held her right boot in her hands. Her suit was open to space. She had felt her legs start to go numb almost immediately, from just about the itchy line of the tourniquet down to her nylon-stockinged toes, which she twiddled with the absurd sentiment that that was what one did. It was a strange sight, this shapely calf emerging from the heavy suit leg. Loath to rest her foot directly on the moon's surface, she laid it leadenly on top of her left boot. She didn't quite feel it. She was trying not to think about Cicada. Cicada was a good op, a great op, and she was warned now, and she knew that Moth was all right so she would be able to concentrate on straight-lining the discrepancy. Moth should have used the seconds in which the systems were back up to get on the return slide to the office. She saw that now. Yet here she was, sitting on a boulder on the moon, freezing her foot off, and not a regret. Moth turned the boot upside down in her hands and shook it. A squarish little device tumbled out, and bounced in the chalky dirt. As Moth bent down to retrieve it, she lost her hold on the boot and dropped it to the ground as well, loosing a mild oath. First things first. The bomb looked like nothing, really. Just a small cube with a few flashing diodes. Moth threw it as hard as she could towards Serene. The object spun away from her and fell slowly down over the ridge. Moth didn't waste time watching its flight. She immediately picked up her boot and labored to insert her stiff, screaming foot into it. Half a minute of angry panting later, she flicked a glance toward Serene and saw small pieces of moon rock flying off into the black sky, shooting out of a disappointing puff of dust. Well, the mayor had said the idea was only to rip her suit open. She sighed. It was still something of an immediate relief, and turned her attention back to her still unsealed boot. It soon transpired that dropping it had been unfortunate. The seal was full of grit and wouldn't close properly. Her foot felt like a petrified stump as she brushed at the threaded ring with mounting consternation. She could sense the rocky grains grind into the metal ridges as she tried to twist the ring shut tight. She pushed the nascent despair aside for the moment. 
Her lower leg was howling, but the tourniquet was not going away just now. 10.01 In Cicada's estimation, the mayor was the kind of discrepancy who had crossed over from the voids because he loved the sound of his own voice. He was the kind of discrepancy who liked to play dress-up. They didn't all become actors and musicians. If this had been his first visit out of the interstices, it could have been amusing, even endearing. It was easy enough to like them before they went nuts. Hell, it was sometimes possible to like them after that as well, even as one had no choice but to sear them. And once in a while, there was the rare and unfortunate discrepancy that stayed in a division for decades, and hadn't killed anyone, and was quite reasonable when you caught up with it. These always did a number on your mental health, because, well, they still had to be seared. You never knew. That was why most ops went on the happies after a few years. That was why most ops were religious. But there was a trail of bodies in Diana that made it clear this discrepancy was irretrievable. Hadn't Moth mentioned a rupture as well? Cicada couldn't review the notes to make sure. It's not just the 1,400 souls in Diana, you see, the mayor was saying. It's not just the school, which our young friend Jamie here could tell you is plain wonderful. He wiggled the teddy bear in their direction to underline his point. The boy's breathing became huskier. It's not just the jobs, and the increased food shipments from Terranside, and the new concert hall. Fifty actual seats in that venue, my friend. Do you have any notion of the breadth of that investment? It's not just this town base. He smiled. Let's be clear, it's everyone on the moon. By my very nature, by virtue of who I am, of what I am, of the abilities that are derived from that, I am, in fact, in charge of every living being, in every settlement, on the surface of the satellite. Cicada sat up straighter, using the shift in her posture to push her shoes under her chair. The boy, whose name apparently was Jamie, scoffed exaggeratedly, as though to draw the mayor's attention away from her maneuver. Cicada looked at the child surreptitiously, and decided that was precisely what he was doing. He noticed all right, and he was helping. Sensible lad. Do you understand what I'm telling you, Cicada? insisted the discrepancy in a coldly demented tone. I understand it, Mr. Mayor. I just can't agree. Yes, I know. Surely you see now why I need to travel to your front office. Perhaps your superiors would be more amenable to some sort of negotiation. I'm not the only one of my kind who is trying to make a simple life for himself in this world all the while helping out the people I meet. Did you ask Mott the same thing? No answer. She almost drew her sewer, but managed to stop herself. This guy had got the drop on Moth. On Moth.
You've been here for decades at least, by my reckoning, she went on. Your constituents don't quite realize it, but it's true. You must understand we can't just walk away. The mayor considered that proposition for a moment and conceded, No, I don't suppose you can. In any case, you're some ways past any kind of arrangement to get you back to the voids on your own recognizance. You must see that. You've been busy here. A phrase Allie had used came back to her. There are stories. He pouted dismissively. No politician ever commands the love and loyalty of everyone under them. I actually do better than most. People don't always understand what's good for them. You keep everyone afraid, said Jamie sullenly. Long, uncomfortable silence. The door to the waiting room swished open. Cicada's head swung round. She rolled her eyes. Two of the enforcers were back in play. The very young one and the upwardly mobile fossil. They looked a bit worse for wear, and they hadn't found their clubs again, but they seemed very upset with her, and attitude goes a long way in that kind of job. Not quite everyone, the mayor said, sounding pleased with himself. Jamie had stood up and seemed unsure of what was supposed to come next. It was all a matter of expectations, really. The mayor was expecting Cicada to try to sear him, but he was waiting for the blast to come from somewhere in front of him. The thugs could not, in their wildest dreams, imagine her using any kind of projectile weapon here on the moon, but they knew she could move. The idea was to find the play that was just different enough to confound everyone's expectations. She jumped straight up. 10.05 Moth climbed down from the ridge the way she'd come up. It was slow going. Her boot was back on, but the seal was loose, and she had the feeling she was hobbling on a blunt piece of dead wood. Mercifully, the distance was fairly short. She was nearly at the bottom now. The truth of the matter was that the tourniquet wasn't quite airtight either. She was losing oxygen. She could see it seep out in a fine spray of white mist at the joint of the boot. Taking the tourniquet off would compound the issue, therefore it stayed, and made walking even more difficult. She had to carry her oxygen tank in her left hand, and use the right one to hold on to surrounding rocks and keep her balance. The pain, at least, was manageable. Her score on the pain resistance index was one of the highest at the net. Just a biological quirk, but she'd take it and be thankful. Getting rid of the bomb had been a step in the right direction, of course. You take these things one at a time. Salami tactics. Spider and Butterfly and Cicada would all have been proud of her. Still, not quite enough. She was at Plan C by now. Walk on her increasingly useless foot as far as she could toward Diana, hoping that Cicada had taken her advice to heart, 
hoping that the slide would become operational again after the discrepancy had been straight-lined. Her head swam. She was stumbling. Why had Jamie crossed over from the voids a second time? She nearly tumbled over. Was it only the second time? She reached the smoother surface, thank the Lord, got her bearings, set out again. When she reached the crumpled letter from the mayor, she sank to her knees. She checked on the notes, still down, and now so was she. Her last thought as she lost consciousness was for Cicada. 10.05 Without her magnetic shoes, there was nothing to keep Cicada anchored to the floor. When she jumped, she shot like a rocket over them all, simultaneously fumbling for the searer in her shoulder bag. She banged the back of her head on the ceiling a bit, which she knew would happen, and came down on the mare from above with her searer blazing. making great slivers of desk and floor and discrepancy sizzle and boil and disappear in the trans-dimensional chaos of the worlds. The integrity of the room was indeed compromised by destroying the floor, but the moon rock underneath meant that the damage was not as immediate a threat as a hole in any one of the outer walls would have been. Moth's advice had been sound. The stupefied discrepancy shrieked in pain and anger. It immediately thinned out and transformed into a howling tornado of greenish fog. It dropped the teddy bear, which slowly fell to the floor. Cicada thought she heard the enforcers behind her scream in terror, but she never took her eyes away from the target. The milky viridian mist that was the mare glowed drippily where the searer had wounded it. There was almost nothing human left to his form, apart from his burning, angry eyes. And there were more than two now. The glaring orbs floated into the steamy soup, rolling against one another like balls bobbing on the surface of a pond, sometimes sinking and disappearing before plopping back through somewhere else. No wonder the guards were freaked out shooting frenziedly as she glided down. She landed onto the desk, just awkwardly enough to fall to one knee and have to steady herself with her hand. She felt the discrepancy, frightened, enraged, in mortal distress, swirl about her, slither over her body and try to send smoky tendrils under her clothes into her ears into her nose. Reflexively, she jumped again, out of the mist, feeling the discrepancy brush away from her skin as though she were stepping out of a dress. She shook her head furiously, gripped the searer with both hands, and shot repeatedly downwards toward the mayor's chair. She spilled out onto the floor, hitting her head. Blood spurted from her nostrils. 
crimson droplets arced away in slow motion. One last time, the discrepancy flowed toward her like a tidal wave of indignant hatred. It wrapped itself around her face, its screeches like glass grinding in her ears, and tried desperately to blind and choke her. Spluttering, fighting the urge to vomit, she squeezed the trigger of her sewer so many times that the weapon's charge was down by a third when she later surrendered it to equipment and ordnance. Then it was over. The discrepancy's body lost its integrity entirely and began to dissipate. The cleanup crews had tools for that. Filters, she imagined. She rolled over onto her back. She could still breathe, which surprised her. The air was noticeably cooler. She sat up. The notes were back on. Mot, Mot. Report. report. No answer. Physically, Moth was at least two kilometers away? She needs help, Jamie whispered from behind Cicada, very close to her ear, and she turned on him with a scream, barely stopping herself from searing his head off. He took no heed. He was stepping over her, greedily reaching for the teddy bear. It was a miracle that she hadn't destroyed the toy, she thought. He hugged it to himself, fiercely. Not a crier, though. How do you know? She asked, her voice unsteady. There's no time. Can you help her? She was shocked at the depth of pleading in her voice. Yes. She watched him stupidly as he went to the far wall, opened the door, it was marked with a large black one, and walked through. A few seconds too late, she bounded after him, her head pulsing. The door was locked. Through the porthole, she could see him throw the switch to open the door marked 2 across the other room. She immediately stopped trying to open door 1. The other room was the mayor's airlock to the outside. In his shorts and his smart little school uniform, Holding his teddy bear close to his heart, Jamie waited for the door to open to the lunar surface. The oxygen was already leaking out of the airlock. Cicada could see the air pressure gauge steadily going down. She gawped at the child, finally understanding why this job had felt so strange from the moment she'd stepped off the slide. She had never been inside a triple containment before. She'd never even heard of such a thing. Moth's imprecation to save the stuffed animal suddenly made sense as well. The job wasn't finished. The brief was all about the bully Cicada had seared out of the worlds. It said nothing about a teddy bear-toting second discrepancy, which Moth had apparently already met. Wiping the blood off her nose, it was already clotting. She put her face to the porthole and banged on the door, trying to no avail to get the discrepancy's attention. A few seconds later, Jamie stepped aside and faced the wall next to door number two. He clearly felt this was taking too long. His left arm undulated as it liquefied and then became a thick, glinting spear of... ice? Crystal? 
Cicada couldn't tell. In one sharp, conclusive push, the boy drove the point of this lance through the wall. The arm rippled again and became a sort of scimitar. Jamie slashed down effortlessly, ripping an enormous gash into the panel. With a blast, the remaining oxygen in the room rushed out, tearing at his hair and his clothes, but he was rooted to the floor. He widened the opening with a few quick swipes, and he was gone, skipping across the lunar surface, trailing his teddy bear behind him. Cicada swore. The airlock was a garage, just as Ali had said. She could see two jeeps and at least four spacesuits on a rack. Well, she needed the suit and the vehicle, sure enough, and she needed them now, but she needed them on this damned side of the damned door. They should have been on this side of the door. This went against every safety protocol she could think of. She slammed her fist into the porthole. The sentiment that she was depending on the discrepancy, a discrepancy she'd failed to spot, to save the love of her life, filled her with loathing. She found her shoes and slipped them on, then turned back to go and find herself a suit somewhere in this stupid town. Three steps away from the waiting room, she stopped with a gasp. All three guards were dead on the blood-sodden rug, their chests caved in like they'd been run through with stakes. She'd completely forgotten about these men. As ashamed as she felt, she was glad the little boy was more or less on her team. 10.21 Moth's eyes slowly opened onto Jamie's face. He was looking past her, his features set and determined, framed by nothing but the black lunar sky. There was a sheen of glittering frost on his naked forehead. A bubble of pounding warmth expanded in her chest. It was gratitude, of course. In her relief, some of that warmth even felt like sincere love. The stars were drifting behind him. He was carrying her. He was running, using short, swift steps that should have been impossible in the reduced gravity of the moon. Did you get your bear back? She asked softly. Without slowing, without looking down at her, he smiled shyly. Without shifting his hold on her, something no human child could have done, he showed her the teddy bear. It had lived in the meantime. She was oddly comforted by the resonance she picked off his scuffed fur. That resonance came from the emotions with which she charged the toy. Pity, chiefly, to be clinical about it, but also compassion, affection, and longing. She felt as though the worlds, in a way, were approving her decision to let Jamie live all those years ago in the park. She couldn't feel her right foot at all. She strained to catch a glimpse of her leg. It was covered in a block of ice. Jamie had made a seal around her right boot, out of ice formed from his own body. The child in the little sailor uniform sped across the lunar desert, a half-delirious woman clasped in his arms. The notes were back on 
This meant the mayor was seared. <laughs> Cicada was such a great op. Moth left a short, reassuring note. At least she meant it to be reassuring. Cicada immediately shot back with a flurry of anxious answers. Cicada, just wait for me and Diana. I'm heading to you now. I'm in good hands. Another series of increasingly hysterical notes. Just wait for me, please. I have to take care of this. She hesitated. Then, before she lost her nerve, she noted, I love you. She ignored any of the further incoming notes. Well, if it blew up in her face, she could plausibly claim it was the hole in the suit talking. Jamie. He actually turned his head away from her. He would not look at her. Jamie. Why are you here? His shame was almost hot to the touch. He ran in silence for another minute. The mayor, he whispered. He came to the in-between places and talked to me. He said... Her throat contracted when he trailed off. This was so hard for him. He said if I came with him, I'd get to see you again. Jamie desperately needed to hear something kind, but Moth had no idea what she could tell him. She had no idea what she was feeling, exactly. She wished she was not wearing a pressure suit. She wanted to hold him to herself. She wanted to kiss his black and red hair, lacquered as it was with ice crystals. Most of all, she wanted Cicada, the sight of this child. But he was not a child, of course. Butterfly had told her that with kindness, and had taken that kindness to the grave. Spider had put it more coarsely. He's a creature from outside our universe, she had said, who's slowly gonna go psycho the longer he spends on this side, until you have to sear him. I shouldn't have listened to him, said Jamie. He took my bear. I was so mad. I'm sorry. Moth smiled feebly. It's all right, Jamie. It was not all right, however. She saw it now. The mayor's plan made no sense. He'd just been flailing about, really. But he had engineered the complication that had the best chance of getting her in theater. She supposed it was only the discrepancy's own encroaching mental instability that had saved her. The brief department, whoever that was, couldn't have known when they mentioned the bear that she would pull rank to get the job. For once, the crappy brief wasn't entirely the fault of whatever transdimensional bureaucrat had written it. And the mayor had wanted to talk to her specifically because she'd once had a compassionate response to a discrepancy? She wasn't the only one. But Jamie had something about him. Something disarming. He looked at her then, as he ran. His eyes were round, very dark, and desperately aware. He was no fool. 
He knew that what awaited him was the wintry loneliness of the interstices. His non-existent parents were not coming back, and his misery transfixed her. I missed you so much, Mom. She was fighting for her breath. Her oxygen tank was still pretty full. She didn't even have to check. I missed you for so long. It could very well have been centuries by his reckoning. I missed you too. And she had. That made no sense either. Yet there it was. The truth. The stars flew by over him. I know, he said, though she hadn't spoken. I have to leave again. Yes. A streak of ice glinted on his cheek. He brushed it away, and she imagined she heard it clink. And never come back, he said thickly. He'd said that before. Never, Jamie. She reached up and touched his face. I won't always be here to help you. And the people I work with, they don't, they don't know what a good boy you are. She had no idea who he'd been living with in Diana. Allie had certainly seemed to think he had parents. That could have been the containment, but then again. She pushed the disquieting possibilities out of her mind and didn't ask. She concentrated on how this child had saved her life. She tried not to look at the living ice encasing her leg. He was a boy who missed her, and she had to send him alone between the worlds. Her frozen foot was starting to hurt very badly. She closed her eyes and let herself drift off to sleep. 10.58 She was in Cicada's arms. The embrace was tight. Cicada had cut her out of the suit. That was no fun, Cicada was saying. That was all kinds of no fun. She was perspiring, and Moth thought it smelled wonderful. We need to get you to medical. We have to be quick. Moth... I'm not sure they'll save your foot. Moth pursed her lips. With Cicada's warm breath on her cheek, her deadened foot seemed very distant. In another division, almost. She was having a weird-ass day, and no mistake. They can do miracles in medical, she said, feeling oddly detached. I'm sure it'll be fine. Collection is sending the cleanup team. The discrepancy was one of the gas ones. I know. Damned if I know how cleanup will get him in the vial. They have their ways, I suppose. Cicada was babbling. Mott. The kid. How did you know the kid, Mott? I'll tell you later. Where is he now? Moth just looked at her. Okay. Right. What's our angle when we talk to collection? The brief just mentioned the mayor. Moth paused, 
her voice dropped. If you have any feelings left for me, we'll keep it that way. Cicada's eyes suddenly filled with tears. She kissed Moth the way she had years ago. Moth was so startled that her first insane reaction was to pull back. Then she felt tears on her lips, not her own tears, and she let herself go. I was going out of my mind, said Cicada after some time, her voice hoarse. The minute you're out of medical, I'm bloody well marrying you. This is Vincent Lauzon. I hope you enjoyed this eighth episode of The Moth Collection. If you did, tell people about it. It's not forbidden, you know. And come visit the website, which has a bunch of fun things and extras. The awful country song you heard Sheb sing is available to listen to again, or to ignore, if you prefer. The address is in the show notes. We were bound to get to the moment Moth loses her foot, weren't we? It's such a useful marker. The Moth Collection is written and read by Vincent Lauzon. Production by Transuranic. I hope you'll be back in two weeks for another episode of The Moth Collection. Hi everyone, I'm Tong. I'm Sam. And I'm Laura. And we are Disney Dummies. Look, we know there are Disney super fans out there, but even the superest of fans could still be Disney dummies. That's why the three of us are on a quest to watch every single animated theatrical release in chronological order, from Snow White all the way to whatever's out right now. We dive into each movie in detail, talking about fun facts, talking about the animation, hit you with some hot takes, our favorite reviews on the internet. We even talk about who fucks. I still can't believe that's an actual segment. So join us every second Wednesday for another episode of Disney Dummies. And Pixar Pals when we finally catch up. Yeah. Yeah. Brought to you by the fairy tale whimsical depths of the Pod Cavern.